Part 7 of The Story of Peter Lou by Francis Archibald Bruton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Charge of the Manchester Yeomanry As it was, the yeomanry wheeled, and accompanied by the deputy constable, rode through the crowd towards the hustings. Stanley marks them on his plan as starting from a point apparently not far from the entrance to the present association hall in Mount Street, and riding, as his arrows show, straight for the platform. As they did so, they left something behind them on the ground. It was the body of a woman. Stanley marks the exact spot where this body lay, apparently lifeless, throughout the subsequent proceedings, after which it was carried into the house. This was the second casualty. The yeomanry entered the crowd to the right of the cordon of special constables, but one of the special constables was killed also. Stanley's account is as follows. Hunt began his address. I could distinctly hear his voice. He had not spoken for above a minute or two before the cavalry were sent for. The messengers, we were told, might be seen from a back window. I ran to that window, from which I could see the road leading to a timber yard, I believe, at no great distance, where, as I entered the town, I had observed the Manchester Yeomanry stationed. I saw three horsemen riding off, one towards the timber-yard, the others in the direction which I knew led to the cantonments of other cavalry. I immediately returned to the front window, anxiously awaiting the result. A slight commotion amongst the body of spectators, chiefly women, who occupied a mound of raised broken ground on the left and to the rear of the orators, the references to Windmill Street, Stanley admitted at the trial that he had not heard the name, convinced me that they saw something which excited their fears. Many jumped down, and they soon dispersed more rapidly. By this time the alarm was quickly spreading, and I heard several voices exclaiming, The soldiers! The soldiers! It's possible that this alarm may have been due to a skilful movement of the infantry in Dickinson Street, on the other side of the square, which seems to have taken place at this moment. A witness at the Oldham inquest speaks of a movement of the people near Windmill Hill. I saw the 88th formed into line, and supposed the movement on the windmill occasioned by the junction of the 88th. The regiment formed into a sort of crescent, which prevented me from moving either way. I could not get away by any exertion. The regiment prevented persons getting either way. This is an excellent illustration of the manner in which troops skilfully handled can be used to baffle and break up a crowd. We return to Stanley's narrative. Another moment brought the cavalry into the field on a gallop, which they continued till the word was given for halting them. They halted in great disorder, and so continued for the few minutes they remained. Hunt had evidently seen their approach. His hand had been pointed towards them, and it was clear from his gestures that he was addressing the mob respecting them. As a matter of fact, Hunt's words, which Stanley could not hear, were, "'Stand firm, my friends. You see they are in disorder already. This is a trick. Give them three cheers.' Bamford also shouted, Stand fast! They are riding upon us! Stand fast! We are reminded involuntarily of Shelley's lines, written so far away, yet with such striking intuition. Let the horsemen's scimitars wheel and flash like spheless stars, thirsting to eclipse their burning in a sea of death and mourning. Stand ye calm and resolute, like a forest close and mute, with folded arms and looks which are weapons of unvanquished war stanley continues 
hunt's words whatever they were excited a shout from those immediately about him which was re-echoed with fearful animation by the rest of the multitude ere that had subsided the cavalry the loyal spectators and the special constables cheered loudly in return and a pause ensued of about a minute or two an officer and some few others then advanced rather in front of the troop formed as i before said in much disorder and with scarcely the semblance of a line their sabres glistened in the air and on they went direct for the hustings at first and for a few paces their movement was not rapid and there was some show of an attempt to follow their officer in regular succession five or six abreast but as mr francis phillips in his pamphlet observes they soon increased their speed and with a zeal and ardour which might naturally be expected from men acting with delegated power against a foe by whom it is understood they had long been insulted with taunts of cowardice continued their course seeming individually to vie with each other which should be first as the cavalry approached the dense mass of people they used their utmost efforts to escape but so closely were they pressed in opposite directions by the soldiers the special constables the position of the hustings and their own immense numbers that immediate escape was impossible the rapid course of the troop was of course impeded when it came into contact with the mob but a passage was forced in less than a minute so rapid indeed was it that the guard of constables close to the hustings shared the fate of the rest on their arrival at the hustings a scene of dreadful confusion ensued the orators fell or were forced off the scaffold in quick succession fortunately for them the stage being rather elevated they were in great degree beyond the reach of the many swords which gleamed around them in a footnote stanley adds from the moment they began to force their way through the crowd towards the hustings swords were up and swords were down but whether they fell with the sharp or flat side i cannot of course pretend to give an opinion lieutenant joliffe decides this point for us when he says the hussars drove the people forward with the flats of their swords but sometimes as is almost inevitably the case when men are placed in such situations the edge was used both by the hussars and by the yeomanry what actually happened at the hustings we know from the account given in the london times by tyus who was present and was himself taken into custody the officer who commanded the detachment says the times went up to mr hunt and said brandishing his sword sir i have a warrant against you and arrest you as my prisoner mr hunt after exhorting the people to tranquillity in a few words turned round to the officer and said i willingly surrender myself to any civil officer who will show me his warrant nadine the police officer then came forward and said i will arrest you i have got information upon oath against you the same formality was gone through with mr johnson mr hunt and mr johnson then leapt from the wagon and surrendered themselves to the civil power stanley who was a hundred yards away says hunt fell or threw himself amongst the constables and was driven or dragged as fast as possible down the avenue which communicated with the magistrate's house his associates were hurried after him in a similar manner by this time so much dust had arisen that no accurate account can be given of what further took place at that particular spot the square was now covered with the flying multitude though still in parts the banners and caps of liberty were surrounded by groups all this was the work of a few minutes and meanwhile the other troops had had time to arrive before we follow these into the crowd it is right that we should listen to three other accounts of the charge of the yeomanry 
the cavalry were in confusion says bamford they evidently could not with all the weight of a man and horse penetrate that compact mass of human beings and their sabres were plied to hew away through naked held-up hands and defenceless heads and then chopped limbs and wounded gaping skulls were seen and groans and cries were mingled with the din of that horrid confusion ah ah for shame for shame was shouted then break break they're killing them in front and they cannot get away and there was a general cry of break break for a moment the crowd held back as in a pause then there was a rush heavy and resistless as a headlong sea and a sound like low thunder with screams prayers and imprecations from the crowd moiled and sabre doomed who could not escape bamford here does not distinguish between the charge of the manchester yeomanry and the charge of the hussars which followed a few minutes later it was the latter that caused the rush of which he speaks though he was a man of five foot ten and quote, stood on tiptoe as he tells us he could not being in the crowd see everything stanley says emphatically no spectator on the ground could possibly form a correct and just idea of what was passing he cites this as one explanation of the varying accounts and contradictory statements hunt who had himself ridden in the wiltshire yeomanry thus describes the charge in his memoirs before the cheering was sufficiently ended to enable me to raise my voice again the word was given and from the left flank of the troops the trumpeter leading the way they charged amongst the people sabring right and left in all directions sparing neither age sex nor rank in this manner they cut their way up to the hustings riding over and sabring all that could not get out of their way finally let us hear the officer speak who led the charge in person at the royal birthday festivities in manchester on the twenty ninth of april eighteen twenty colonel hugh burley in replying to the toast of the manchester and salford yeomanry made a lengthy speech in which he complained bitterly of the obloquy and outcry levelled against them quote, which we should have been more or less than men not to feel speaking of the charge into the crowd he said i observed as i approached the stage a movement in the crowd about the spot from which all accounts agree in stating that the first attack was made upon the yeomanry that movement appeared to be intended to throw an obstacle in the way of our advance up to that moment the borough reeve had walked by my side but i then quickened my pace in order to prevent an interruption there was ample space for a front of six men wherever we passed but i am assured by those who formed the first rank of six that they were obliged to break off into single file before they reached the stage the mob must therefore have closed in immediately behind the officers who led the squadron he goes on to speak of the yeomanry's dash for the flags which is mentioned below he does not attempt to deny that it took place but there is no object in quoting further from an apologia which at the best is a very lame affair the arrival of the other troops is thus described in the manchester chronicle immediately the cheshire yeomanry galloped on the ground to them succeeded the fifteenth hussars and the royal artillery train while all the various detachments of infantry also advanced stanley has this footnote on the infantry on quitting the ground i for the first time observed that strong bodies of infantry were posted in the streets on opposite sides of the square their appearance might probably have increased the alarm and would certainly have impeded the progress of a mob wishing to retreat in either of these directions when i saw them they were resting on their arms and i believe they remained stationary taking no part in the proceedings 
in his plan stanley shows the cheshire yeomanry halting between windmill street and the hustings and the fifteenth hussars halting in front of mount street about opposite to the present midland buffet he says the manchester yeomanry had already taken possession of the hustings when the cheshire yeomanry entered on my left in excellent order and formed in the rear of the hustings as well as could be expected considering the crowds who were now pressing in all directions and filling up the space hitherto partially occupied the fifteenth dragoons appeared nearly at the same time and paused rather than halted on our left and parallel to the row of houses End of part seven.